Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Harriet Westmore with the More Wine and Music podcast, the podcast where we discuss American music genre over a glass of wine. I know it has been like forever, forever and ever since I did my last podcast, but I wanted to let everybody know that I am back. I am back. And what I want to do is finish up the last of the rock and roll era before we go into the 1960s. So with that being said, this is episode 34, and I'm going to be talking about the girl group called the Bobettes, the Bobettes. And this story begins in Harlem's Queens, New York. There were originally eight girls who wanted to uh, form a group. First, they, they met, they were really young girls, ages from 11 to 15 years old. They were a part of a uh, glee club at their school. But then they decided they wanted to uh, do um, some singing outside of their school. They were, you know, good friends. The girls were you know, besties. And so they wanted to, you know, form a group outside of the Glee Club. So after um, deciding that, um, like I said, they started off with eight, but three of the girls um, weren't too enthusiastic to continue singing um, outside of, you know, their school activities or anything like that. They probably deem it more as a hobby than anything else. So they decided to uh, not uh, go on with uh, singing outside of a class. So with five left, they call themselves the Harlem Queens. Now these consisted of sisters, Emma and Jenny Pott, Laura Webb, Heaven Gathers, and Reether, I'm sorry, Reether Dixon. Um, these girls, they came up with the name Harlem Queens. And with their vocals, they, they were, for, for them to be as young as they were, they did have a very nice uh, range of vocals. Emma Pott, she sang alto. Janie, um, her sister Janie, she sung soprano. Laura Webb, she was a tenor. Helen Gathers was also an alto, and Reether was a between us uh, alto into baritone. So they started to sing around the local sock hops, the local uh, amateur shows, and things around their neighborhood in uh, Harlem. And they actually was able to uh, get on the Apollo. And we all know anybody and everybody are familiar is familiar with um, Apollo Theater. Um, it's one of the most um, popular places to sing as an amateur. And it's also a place uh, where you can be discovered to move on into your music career and it's also a place where it's the most critical and the most uh, uh, place to, you know, get booed off the stage, so to speak. So they took their chance and they uh, apparently did well there at the Apollo. But there was one particular show 
that they were invited to perform. And it was at the Herb Sheldon show. And it was there that uh, these girls were discovered by a manager who was named by James Daly. Um, He was uh, managing groups such as the Demons, the Desires, and the Opry's. Um, personally, I've never heard of these groups. I'm just being honest, but I mean, he was actually, uh, a manager for these particular groups. So he saw the girls singing and was very interested in them and wanted to um, work with them and signed them to the record label. Um, so he got with them. Only thing he did not like about the girls is the name of the group, the Harlem Queens. He thought that the name Harlem Queens sounded more like a gang. It was, (laughs) and not a singing group. So he had them, he told them that you come up, can you come up with something else that's a little less abrasive than the Harlem Queens? So they decided to um they were thinking and thinking and thinking and actually it was Laura uh Webb apparently her sister just had a baby um she so Laura was a new auntie and um the baby was uh named Chanel um Babette so uh, initially they thought about the name Chanel the Chanel's but um they kind of nixed that because Chanel sounded too similar to the Chantels, which was already an established group at that time. So they, well, what about the Bobettes? So, okay. So they decided to go with that name, the Bobettes. And so when Daly heard that, he said, okay, we can work with that. So the first thing he wanted to do was get in, get them into the studio and start recording. So the song that they first um, wanted to record, um, they came up with the lyrics, was about their fifth grade teacher who was named Mr. Lee. Don't know the first name. And Mr. Lee, this particular teacher, they did not really like. He They thought he was a, you know, uh, mean teacher. He they didn't like him, so they wanted to write a song about this particular teacher. But it was in the most uh, uh, negative way because uh, you know they didn't like him. So when Daly s- saw the lyrics of the song of of the song Mr. Lee, he pretty much said, "Well, no." that won't work because it's sounding too derogatory. So you're going to have to, we have to change it to, you know, I like the music, whatever, but I don't like the lyrics because it's, it's a negative. It sounds negative. So let's just change the lyrics a little bit and just make it more positive and more inviting to the audience. So they did. So they recorded uh, Mr. Lee in June of 1957. And um, I believe Reether Dixon, she sang lead on the song. Here on out, Reether and Emma, they traded off as lead singers throughout their whole career um, in the group. 
Um, the song was recorded through Atlantic Rex Records, and it became a hit. It, it, it's and if you hear it, it is a catchy, cute little song. It it is. Um, I, I like it. So um, they, uh, you know, they they became it, it. It picked up on the charts. So with the Lee's, Mr. Lee's hit, it prompted them to do other singles such as Speedy, Come a Come a Zoomy, um, and this what was it? Rock and Roll, Rock and Rio, Rio, Zo, Zo. But unfortunately, these songs, they didn't have the spark as Mr. Lee did. So, and, and also the, there was also an issue of their ages. They couldn't sing in clubs or anything like that. They couldn't make any type of those appearances in those, into those type of establishments because of their ages. They were still young girls. So they weren't able to really promote um, and, and really sing in different um, secular establishments because of their ages. So, they were kind of like limited of where they were able to sing. So, you know, becoming disillusioned after a while, this was between 57 and into 58, you know, again, they made few little records. It, it was okay, but not enough to really put them on the map. Right. So by 1959, um, it was pretty much like they were pretty much frustrated to that point. And um, they wanted to do a comeback of Mr. Lee by rewriting another song called I shot Mr. Lee. And uh, by that time, again, they took it to uh, the producers and they again the Atlanta Records turned it down. They didn't want to, you know, promote that type of song. Um, I shot Mr. Lee. Um, you know, we wanted to keep it more of a up upbeat, you know, doo wop type uh sound. So obviously I shot Mr. Lee is not something that, you know, five girls, you know, in their mind they shouldn't be singing about. So at that time, again, being disillusioned, they left Atlanta Records and signed on to Diamond um, Records label and went into the 60s. Um, and they tried to do a backup. They tried to do a song as a backup sing, uh, group, backup singers to uh, Teddy Vam. Um, it went okay, but again, nothing, you know, extravagant to where they were, you know, now going on tours or anything like that. It just did not, they just could not get their footing. Um, they also, in 1962, with the Diamond label, they were backup singers for Johnny Thunder with the song um, Loop De Doop. By um, 1964, they recorded a few more songs, like Mama, My Mama Said, Sandman, and love that bomb. And um, they actually did record a music track called uh, uh, "Love That." Well, the "Love That Bomb" was a, a 
song track for the movie Dr. Strange Love. So they did do that. Um, again, it was okay, but not enough to put them really on the map. Um, by 1966, they left Diamond label for RCA Victor. And then that's pretty much where they stayed until into the 70s. Um, they were probably mainly uh, recording as backup singers for different other artists, but they really didn't have any other hits out there that was as big as Mr. Lee back in 1957. Tragically, um, in 1980, Emma's sister, Janie, was in Jersey City and she was walking and a total stranger just came up to her out of nowhere and just started stabbing her. And tragically, she died from those uh, stab wounds. So that was a uh, that was a major blow to the group. She was later replaced by Gloria Glenn, and you know that that really didn't last long. That dynamic didn't really last long, and that was pretty much the last uh, of of the groups, you know, pretty much, um, making music at that point. Um, but in 1951, uh, I'm sorry, 1981, they did have a song called love rhythm. Um, and that, that was the official, that was during the disco into the seventies into the early eighties. And that was more of a disco type, uh, song. And that was pretty much the, their last recording. So um, they would do little um, oldies but goodies circuits. Sometimes there, there were shows, you know, throughout the country that they would have these uh, oldie but goodie shows that's from groups back in the 50s. And Bob Epps would do that. But it just, again, you really didn't know the song, you know, really was, they weren't really recognized as as much as as it would have been like the Chantels, um, the Dixie Cups, and the, you know those type of groups, they weren't really the Platters or anything like that. They weren't really as well known, and they were you know they're considered really unsung um, because the, these girls did have a you know nice vocal, nice group as far as their vocal range and, and if, for them to be so young when they started out, it was really um, very impressive. Um, Laura Webb Childress at the time, uh, she passed away in January of 2007, I'm sorry, 2001. And up to that point, which was here, which is really remarkable. They were pretty much together for over 30 years. And out of the 30 years, they only had a change of, um, uh, of a lineup uh, only one time, whereas, you know, group, many groups, especially during those eras and even up till today, they, you know, change members, you know, often, but the Bobettes didn't. And the only reason why there was a, you know, change in lineup in the members was because of, um, unfortunate, um, demise of, uh, 
Jenny Palt. So other than that, they would have still been together. The original five would have still been together to this day had it not been for, you know, Jenny in her, you know, loss of life in 1980. So that's pretty much it about the Bobettes. Uh, cute song. I mean, if, you know, I would encourage everybody to check it out. Mr. Lee. And there's other songs that they made again, but it, like I said, Mr. Lee was kind of their main, um, main breakout song from when they started as a group. So my source for this uh, podcast was from Marv Goldberg's R&B Notebooks. And it was based actually based on an interview with Reetha Dixon Turner herself. So he interviewed her and these are, you know, her uh, account of her experience of being in, in the group, one of the originals again. So, all right, if you guys like this podcast, please hit that subscribe and hit like. I will be back uh, next week and with another uh, story within the rock and roll era. And I think that would be the last because I'm going into uh, the last ending of the 1950s into 59. And then the following will be going into the 1960s. I'm excited for the 60s because there's so much that uh, so many songs that came out during that era. I mean, you have so many genres that uh, uh, were produced in 1960s. So I'm looking forward to that. So hit that subscribe, hit that like button, and I will chat with you soon. Bye.